Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Carmine of Red Team Review, and I'm joined here once again by Preston Jacobs himself. What's up, Preston? Not much. How's it going, Carmine? It's great to be here. What an episode. What an episode. Jeez, Preston, you sound mighty different today. What's uh, the throat thing? I don't know. I'm very excited this week. I'm 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 feeling ve- I'm fe- <laughs> feeling very Chad Summerchild today. I uh, yes, the inner Chad Summerchild, of course. Uh, but guys, welcome back to the Game of Thrones podcast, where today we'll be discussing episode eight of House of the Dragon. As always, we're available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so consider checking us out on those platforms. And if you do, please leave us a review. It'll help out a lot. Also, be sure to leave your comments down below. We may discuss it in the next episode. Okay, so as some of you guys know, Preston has taken a small break so he can spend some time with his family, and we're recording this on a Tuesday, so he'll be gone for a couple of days. You may see this upload later on, and of course, the podcast must go on, so I asked Phil the Issues Guy to join me here today so we could discuss episode 8, and because the podcast this week was supposed to be on Preston's channel, I figured he could have something to upload to lighten the load a bit, since I'm sure the moment he's back, it'll be a mad dash to get some videos out. So if you're watching this on YouTube, then please be sure to leave a like so our boy can stay in the algorithm good graces okay so phil episode eight definitely the best episode so far in my opinion what did you think yeah not to echo your statements too much but i definitely think it was the best episode uh i mean one thing that's for sure with this episode as much as i was not necessarily feeling all of the time jumps and we could break that apart later when we talk about something else uh, but I do have to say what it worked to its advantage is with Viserys, like every like checking in on him every five to ten years or something. But it's it's almost adds to the shock value when you see him, like seeing Jason's mask when it gets taken off at the end of a Friday the 13th movie. Uh, so I also agree. I think this was the best episode of the season. Uh, it. There's not much to for me to complain too much other than some of the casting choices that I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. Or it's not even the casting choices. It's it's the the how some of the actors look aged up. It seems like some look a little older, some got a little younger, some got a little shorter. And that, that stuff doesn't matter too much, but it is worth mentioning and having some fun with. Wait, who got shorter? Is it Aegon? Aegon got yeah, shorter? Yeah, it doesn't seem like Aegon got a little shorter. <laughs> I think he got. I think he think he got shorter because Aemon just shot the fuck up. <laughs> he's he's taken that uh, dragon growth hormone. Too much of that. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm surprised you said uh, when when Viserys took off the mask. I'm surprised you said Jason instead of uh, Gus Fring from uh, <laughs> Gus's uh, death scene in Breaking Bad because that's what it reminded me of. That's very. That's actually very accurate. He went from the Crypt Keeper to Skeletor to then to uh, Gus Fring with his face blown off. But I thought this was an amazing episode, especially by Patty Constantine, and he's getting a lot of respect for the episode. But the other Viserys in this episode also delivered an amazing performance. If you rewatch the scene when the babies are introduced to uh, the king in bed, uh, the baby looks at him. <laughs> the baby must have been horrified by that makeup. <laughs> Some amazing baby acting in that scene. <laughs> uh, let's see what Preston thought, because I thought the episode was great, but Preston, he texted me his notes on what he thought of the episode. Hold on, it's it's right here. Uh, read off some of his notes here. He says, very strong performance, especially from Viserys. So we're all in agreement here. Viserys, Patty Considine did a very good job. Uh, every scene with him shines. His walk, the dinner, his death, incredible. Yeah, so I saw something that Winter is Coming said on, on Twitter. And they said that how how Amazon spent millions of dollars on Rings of Power. <laughs> and they still, nothing Rings of Power has dished out so far could top an old man walking towards the throne. 
Yeah. I would agree with that. I haven't watched all of Rings of Power, but that was the best scene of the season for me. It was just super powerful, and it's one of those scenes that definitely would rank up if I'm making an all-time television Song of Ice and Fire list. It's the first scene for me personally. I'm sure other people might have some other ones, and there's been some great scenes so far, but that's the first one from this series I would put into a, a ranking order. This episode, you said it in your review, and I, I agree. It's not that other stuff didn't feel on that level, but this is the first episode I rushed to want to rewatch. And I don't know what that what that says about the whole season. It's not that I haven't rewatched the episodes, uh, but this one I've watched more than any of the other ones. I can't get enough of this one. And I think part of it, and I don't know, this is this is where we're getting, I'll get a little serious for whatever it's worth. I think this episode also did an excellent job of simulating the feeling of what it's like watching someone you care about, a relative or a loved one in of some ways, dying. And those last minute feelings, the moans, the screams, the help me up, the and the, the moments that they come back for a second and then they disappear immediately right after. Uh, all of that was very almost painfully accurate and I thought that was played well with everyone around around them. And the other thing Carmine, I don't know about you, but this was the first episode that Emma Darcy completely won me over as Rhaenyra. I've been Really? This this is the episode that did it? Not not well, mm, to be fair, in episode 6 uh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I was still a little, uh, I had post-traumatic Millie disorder. I was just like, oh, I'm, I still miss her. I still miss her. But this is the first episode I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, she brought something special for me in her interactions with her father in, in the, in the way that the relationship somewhat repaired with Allison at times too. And we could see the, the not trusting, but trusting looks between the two of them and everything with her and Damon was great, but but yeah, I, so I definitely think this was this was my favorite episode of this season, for sure. See, you say that now, but the moment the next episode drops, uh, episode nine, the moment it, it comes out, you're gonna everyone's gonna say, "Oh, this is the best one so far." And here's the thing, though, I don't know if we're gonna have an, a dreaded episode this season because that's Game of Thrones. That's Dave and Dan. That was their formula. The episode nine, the penultimate episode, is always the one episode that like you know shakes the story and just goes that extra mile. I don't know if we're gonna have that for House of the Dragon because Ryan Condal probably wants to do his own thing, but. You, you say that about episode eight now. A buddy of mine who hooks me up with the episodes, he saw it. He already saw episode nine. And according to him, episode nine somehow surpassed episode eight as wow. his favorite. Wow. And he loved episode and eight. come on, Carmine. We both know that it's like Bobby Buckle and Polly Walnuts that's giving it to you in the back of a back of a truck somewhere. Getting Is that, that episode. a Sopranos quote? Yeah. Is that no. a Sopranos reference? I'm just, I'm just ra- random Sopranos <laughs> bullshit. But, but yes, I, I think that's an amazing part of this season just from a television standpoint. And again, we'll get into time jumps later. I'm not the biggest fan of all of the choices of the time jumps. Actually, let's get into it now if you don't mind because I have here Preston's notes. He says, uh, the time jumps are brutal. Brutal! Uh, Rainy (laughs) suffers the worst. I'm supposed to believe that the world, that she would suddenly be okay with Rainier after five years of brewing on Lainor's death? Her character has never been consistent and it's sad. Rainey's has always been that one character who I think she was, her only purpose so far in season one is to remind everyone about the Iron Throne and how it, it, Westeros passes over women as rulers. It's a shame. 
it's a shame because I feel like that's one of the things that if you had more episodes, and we're going to get into a little bit later some of what uh, George said in a blog post about this. But if you had 13 episodes per season of this show instead of 10, you could have more time to flesh out some of those things. I, I think it's interesting where they've chosen to pause and where they ch- when they choose to fast forward time. Certain things people do get the shaft. I feel like there's whole plot lines that were set up at certain parts in the season that they never followed up on because they were rushing through like like Damon when there's a scene when he's uh, greeted by someone at the river from the Riverlands he goes you're going to have to deal with killing your wife and we'll deal with that later when I come to hear about my claim. What happened with that? What happened with Damon's claim with uh, with all that? I don't I don't know. That just got skipped over. Because- right, the 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 guy from the Vale, the uh the man from Runestone, uh the one of the Royces. Um is that who you're talking about? Yeah, the cousin, the the cousin of the of his wife. So in the book, when Damon goes back to the Vale to claim his dead wife's title and lands and finances and all that, not only does Jane Aaron uh, turn him away, but she also banishes him from the Vale. So that's a whole thing. So far, we haven't seen Jane Aaron. Um, I think she might be mentioned maybe later on. She should be at least in episode ten. I don't think. We're going to get Cregan Stark or Jane Aaron this season. I think everything is mostly focusing on Targaryens and somewhat minor characters around them. But yeah, for the most part, I think a lot of this is going to be season two. But I get what you're saying. The time jumps are just, uh, like, what are you going to do? They're, they're brutal sometimes, but for the most part, I think the show has handled them fairly well. Yeah, the, sh- the show's good, so it's hard to fault them for what they're what they're doing exactly but would it have been benefited from that yes because that's the kind of tv i like i like slow motion not slow motion slower moving shows shows like better call saul the wire stuff that really builds and you learn about characters uh, over long periods of time this show is a different tactic in the way that they're making sure every episode has some sort of big bang and i also as i mentioned earlier i think it adds to the watching viserys be even more decrepit in every single episode after a time jump that adds a little bit of weight to that. So, so I get them wanting to get to the stuff, you know, and, but there's, they definitely could have taken their time a little bit, but everything's, but the show is good. The show is good. And, and there were certain scenes in this episode where I really do think they took their time. The dinner scene, the arrested development dinner scene was just a, <laughs> was just a bloody mess. And Eamon in this episode, uh, I mean, he, the actor may look like he, as I said, took that dragon growth hormone and he shot up. <laughs> and, and you're right. Maybe that's why Aegon looks so, so much smaller. And it's the hair, too. They shouldn't have cut his hair. Uh, but he got looks like Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter. <laughs> he, he does. He does a little bit. He really does. But but uh, Eamon focusing his eye on everybody and 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 being being a the asshole at dinner. I, I definitely was loving that. I I'm I'm enjoying that character from a from a from a antagonist troll standpoint. He was just waiting for an opportunity when Jace stood up and was going to create a scene, but then changed it and was like, "I'm going to toast Aegon and uh, pat him on his back." He stands up like, "Oh, I'm ready to ready to get this on," and then he has to wait till the pig comes out and and Luke, Luke can't help but laugh at him because of the because of the pig from the from the former episode episode and he got up and made a whole big thing and 
I enjoyed that, and I enjoy him and Damon facing off, and Damon looking at him like this guy's going to be a problem, and and I love how he smiled at Damon when uh, smiled at when Damon took off uh, uh, Vayman's Vayman's head. He he was he enjoyed that more than anyone in the whole entire court. He's like ah, that's what I would have done. Speaking of the Vayman scene, uh, Preston here writes, The Vayman scene was very interesting. The choice to make the Valarians black with the choice to make the paternity of Jason Luke certain creates such a powerful farce. I still think it would have been, I, was st- I still think I would have preferred Jason Luke's paternity to be more ambiguous, but this scene in general is quite striking from the choices they made. So for those of you who don't know, in the books, a lot of the questions between Rhaenyra's kids are ambiguous, but in the show, Ryan Condal is determined to answer all of it, like even in the other random uh, mysteries posed in the books. And I know what Preston means about it being ambiguous, and I kind of agree because there is fun to speculate and all that. But at the same time, I also like that we are getting definitive answers to, like, not only this, but, like, everything else as well. I also can't help but feel bad for Vayman because he's not wrong about her kids. They're definitely not Valerians, but at least if Luke marries one of the girls, then at least their child will be kind of Valerian, so... Yay. I I agree with you to a certain extent, but it's the wall. It's the big Lebowski thing with Walter. You're right, but you don't have to be an asshole about it. Know the room, read the situation. It, he starts getting into the. Uh, I love how uh, Damon goes off Sam Kinnison. He's like, "Say it, say it." From back to school, uh, but he, he, the way he went about it in that situation. Once the king walked in, he probably should have uh, waited till uh, waited till the king died and. Tried this again. Wait to see what happened with the sea snake. The way he just screams, your kids are bastards. I don't know. I, lo- I mean, that was a great line read, but it was it was just a dumb move. Do you think at that point, like once the king walked in, he was he was going on sort of like a kamikaze thing there. He knew he was going to get killed and he he was he just went out shouting so he could go out the way he wanted to go out or what do you think he was trying to accomplish in that scene, Carmine, after he didn't rule his own way? Or was he just bitter and couldn't help himself? My man got caught up in his own emotions. It happens to the best of us, and he lost his head for it. Which is funny, too, because in the books, I believe, there are some Valarians who come and protest this, and they have their tongues cut out for it. And I think later on, if I remember correctly, some of them do join the Greens when the Civil War starts. So you're right. He should have just waited a little longer. <laughs> just a little longer. Just a tad. I mean, to be fair, he didn't. No one expected Viserys to come out with that boss entrance, but Did, you know, Otto Hightower was gonna was gonna side with Vaymond and have those fleets on his side because he's gonna need them. Oh yeah, they but, they had the backroom deal. Uh, did you read that the scene where the crown fell down? And, improvised. Yeah, it was completely improvised. It's mm, really awesome. I love it. And I, I and I for those of you that have seen the movie The Replacements, I, I only recently realized that Viserys is the kicker in the uh, in the Keanu Reeves football movie, uh, the called The Replacements. Gene Gene Hackman's also in that movie too. I've never seen that. Keanu Reeves is in this. Yeah, and John Favreau too plays like the the main linebacker. It's it's the same typical sport sports football. Uh, you know the the. Uh, the, the underdog team wins. It's about the, like the, the NFL players go on strike and then the, there's a bunch of replacement players. Keanu Reeves is the quarterback on the team and the series is the kicker. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Oh, shit. I love John Favreau. He's great. Yeah, and John Favreau is the crazy linebacker that beats everybody up. <laughs> uh, Preston here also writes, um, Allison. 
She makes no sense this episode. She's ready to forgive Rainier after a toast, after being established as a forced abortion-giving religious zealot. Ah, see, I, I, I don't know if I, I can, I can, religious zealot, okay, I'll give you that, but forced abortion-giver, what, what is she gonna do? We can't have, we can't have any Targaryen bastards running around, then we get the Black Fire situation all over again. It's just, you know, people using them to, to put claims out. And in the next episode preview, we, we will be getting, uh, Game and Pale Hair, so that's the thing. But, uh, mm, I don't know, this episode really made Alicent very sympathetic, in a sense. I know some people are gonna get on my case and call me a green supporter and all that. I'm not, I'm on any, I'm not, I'm not on anybody's side, but they definitely changed Alicent up from, from her book counterpart, who's just the evil stepmother. But she's also pretty dumb. I mean, in the scene with Viserys, I understand that she cares, but her, it, I agree with Preston that, a lot of her motivations in this episode doesn't make a lot of sense. That makes sense. Her whole situation of dealing with that. And I do want to ask you the question that some people are asking before we get into this. Uh, do you think that Allison poisoned that girl or did she just give her the morning after tea? I think she gave her the moon tea. I don't think Allison's... Everyone wants to see Allison as like this evil villain and maybe on some level she kind of is, but at the same time, she's just a bitter woman. And like you're you're forced to marry this this older man and 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 be a, a child making factory for his his kids. Uh, it leaves you bitter, you know. There was supposed to be a scene. Um, I don't know if you heard about this. The deleted scene that Emily Carey, young Allison, talked about, where she confesses her love of Christian Cole to Rhaenyra. Yes, I, I I did hear that. And what's interesting, though, and again to piggyback on what Preston was saying, I feel like. She she ping-ponged a bit too much in this episode. All it took... Are we to believe legitimately? I know Otto probably wouldn't have let it happen, or uh, other, other factors wouldn't have let it ha- happen, but are we to believe that all it took was Rhaenyra to do a tasteful toast to Allison, and Allison was ready to just accept Rhaenyra as queen? Uh, I don't know. I, I think Allison found God in the six-year time skip. <laughs> and, okay, uh, let's, let's let's see that. I, I guess I guess am I supposed to know that because she put up all the decorations? Am I just to assume that Allison got religion? Yeah, you know, she's wearing her hair up. She's more conservative. Yeah, yeah. Had a little great, star great. and stuff that. Good for her. <laughs> I didn't know that. All I, all I knew was she forgave Rhaenyra pretty damn quick and then turned it around that the prince that was promised, blah, blah, blah. I, I get the mishap and I get the understanding. I guess it adds a little bit more motivation to Allison, but I also think it makes Allison seem very stupid because why would Viserys in the moment in the dinner be so adamant Right, like the day before, the same day he died. This isn't like a week later. This is the same day. Mm-hmm. And then, no, no, no. He just wanted to keep that secret until he was alone with Allison and finally tell her that, no, he wanted Aegon to be king. Come on, dude. You just heard what you wanted to hear in that moment, Allison. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's an element to that. Um, Preston's notes here. He also says, the reunion aspect of the show is also weird as last episode was also a reunion. We had no <laughs> yeah. time exploring these characters apart from each other. Narratively, it feels like they have never been apart despite being apart for years. We really need that downtime to understand what the characters are feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear that. I kind of, I kind of agree that this season probably should have been maybe 12, 13 episodes so we could have spent more time with the characters because it really does feel like some of the previous episodes were cliff notes just to get to the final three. Because 8, 9, yeah. and 10 is when it... This is the final time skip from what I hear. 8, 9, and 10 is where it really goes down. So 
it seems like everything from episodes two to seven were just setting up eight, nine, and ten. But uh, earlier, you said George uh, briefly touched on that, how we needed more episodes, and he, he said this on his blog post. What, what was that about? Uh, George, on his Not a Blog post, talked about a lot of things uh, about this season, about his excitement for it. But he did get into the time jumps. He said he didn't want to make any official statement about it. But there are, there are so many, there are only so many minutes in the episodes. Uh, it would have been great to see a relationship between Rhaenyra and Sir Harwin, the marriage of Damon and Lena, and Pentos, the birth of various kids. Yes, Alicent gave uh, four children, not three. But we didn't have time to work because of the time skip. If we had maybe thirteen episodes, we could have uh, we we could have we could have done something. But I'm paraphrasing a little bit, though. We would have had a risk some viewers complaining that the show was too slow and that nothing happened. So, Carmine, do you think they made the right decision by making it the pacing fast, 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 fast? Do you think thirteen episodes in a slower pace would have turned more people away? And because so much pressure was on the success of this series for a Song of Ice and Fire universe, they felt like this series needed to be as punchy as possible and have every episode have some sort of boom. Uh, see, I don't know if I agree with the, with, it, with it being slow because, like you said earlier. Um, the wire is slow and yeah. people still, you know, remember that fondly. Sopranos, that can be slow at times too, right? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bre- uh, Breaking Bad builds up at the first couple of seasons. Deep Space Nine is my favorite, one of my favorite shows. And I know I'm bringing up Star Trek again here, but <laughs> Deep Space Nine is one of my favorite shows. But those first two seasons are a slog sometimes, but they're so important to build in all that stuff about Bajor so that later in the series when the Cardassians come back, it means more. So you needed that foundation, but seasons three through seven are fast paced. I think it, and uh, Breaking Bad was the same way. The beginning, you lay those ground, that groundwork. But what was interesting about House of the Dragon is even in those early episodes, they weren't they were character they were story building not character building in a lot of ways because they didn't really slow down and take their time to flesh out character points they just they just kind of pushed story beats along and i, I mean, people might disagree with that but i feel like with the fast paced stuff and you miss out on a lot of character progression moments and seeing them go through that stuff like george was saying seeing rainera and sir Har- harwin build that trust that she mentions in this episode or uh, last episode she mentions uh, that she had a good relationship with him thank god she said that because i wouldn't have known it i didn't know if did she treat him like like crispin cole like you're just a you're just an f toy like or did she actually trust him and bring him into her confidence it would have been nice to see that uh same with lena and, and dana dana damon and lena's relationship it's it seems like it would have been interesting to see all of that and see lena uh bond with vagar but they wanted to make aemon seem stronger so they cut that maybe that's what they that was that was their thinking on that uh but but i don't know uh i think i think everything shows work better with more episodes to flesh things out. And he also takes some shade at at uh, the original Game of Thrones here, too. He says, uh, he says, a fewer, fewer, uh, Beauty and the Beast, when I, when I first started, television shows had 39 episodes. By the time I was writing for Beauty and the Beast, it was down to 22. Cable shrunk it even further. Sopranos had like 13 episodes per season. Then a few years later, Game of Thrones had only 10. And then in parentheses, he said, and, then, and not even that, those last two seasons. Mm. 
It's a little sass. It's it's, it's, little, it's a little bit of sass. Okay. Little, okay. Maybe I'm reading the sass into it, but I but I feel like that's a that's a slight that uh, they didn't need to make those last two. Se- and we're, we're not going to talk about that. But those last two seasons should have been ten episodes at least. Well, uh, to be fair, Game of Thrones having a lackluster ending that blame goes around all over the place. You have George who didn't finish the material, and then you have Dave and Dan who didn't uh, put their foot down because they originally wanted seven seasons, and then they got convinced to do eight by HBO who begged them to. Do do like more seasons along with George who wanted more seasons if it's like at the same time it's like okay we'll do more seasons George give us more material and he's <laughs> oh, like ah no, no, no. so yeah blame goes all over the place as for this it's like mm, see I, I can see season one yeah. in a perfect world having 12 episodes but seasons two three and what else did he say in, in the blog post he, he said he said he wanted how many seasons yeah, he he says to do this right. Uh, let's see. As I continued it, to do the to do the dance and dragons from start to finish, I hope to continue to be true. As I'm thrilled to still have ten hours each week to tell the tale, I hope that will continue to be true. It's going to take four full seasons of ten episodes each to do justice to the dance of dragons from start to finish. But right now, Ryan Condal's focus is on House of the Dragon, and mine is on capital letters. Winds of Winter. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Everybody calm down here. Let's he's a funny guy. Add that to the list of things he's doing. Comedy on the side other than writing wins. Uh but uh, no, uh what what else did he have? Something else that George adds as well is how good Patty Constantine's performance of King Viserys is. And he sa- he says, and I quote, the character he created for the show is so much more powerful and tragic and fully fleshed out than my own version in Fire and Blood that I am half tempted to go back, rip out those chapters and rewrite the whole history of his reign. Patty deserves an Emmy, yada, yada, yada. But no, no, George, concentrate on that thing at the end of your post, the, the, the working on Winds of Winter. We don't, we don't need you to go back and rewrite Fire and Blood. No, thanks. Hmm. If they do, if they do, if they go into a four seasons, I can see season four being like another six episodes. Um, because I'm, I, the only thing I'm worried about is them having filler. I don't want filler, but at the same time, if done well, it can be nice. Because most of the uh, great houses of Westeros enter the conflict. Not all, and you know, I think the Tyrells and the Martells stay out of it for the most part. Like the Tullys get into it. I know the Greyjoys get into it. The Red Kraken, he's in it. Um, unless they want to flesh out those characters, like Grover and Elmo and. Groucho Dully. <laughs> and the rest of Sesame Street. And that's that. Yeah, that's basically it. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, George. You, you could probably do four if the last season was cut down a little bit. But I can see a good sizable three seasons. Unless and how, we can go beyond the dance. Of, we can go beyond Dance of Dragons and all the way up to Robert's Rebellion. I'd be fine with that. I mean, I think you'd need more than four seasons for that. And they've definitely talked about that, too. They're just keeping House of the Dragon as a as an underlying title. And then House of the Dra- Dragon, Aegon's Conquest. House of the Dragon, Robert kicks at, kicks, kicks, uh, kicks at, kicks somebody's ass. Uh, we, we might see that. My biggest question is how long are we going to have to wait between seasons? Are we going to, you think it's going to be two full years between seasons? Yeah, I think they're about to film. They might film season two, maybe next year. They're probably gearing everything down. Will um, snow come out before season two of House no, of the Dragon? No, no, they probably might film snow. Like, <laughs> I, you know what? I'll be honest. I kind of want to see what snow has in store. I kind of like people give me shit all the time for my idea for snow, but what? 
what can you really do in Westeros anymore? The, the country's at peace. We had several years of civil war. They were five kings. Bran, the all-knowing, all-powerful, his reach extends <laughs> all over Westeros. If anybody tries a rebellion, he's on it. He can, like, yep. squash that shit before it comes down. So yeah, he'll, what, war, he'll warg into Drogon and go uh, destroy somebody if he has to. If he has to, sure. What I'm thinking is, is that, you know, Jon goes somewhere in Essos. I was thinking E.T. because, you know, not only does HBO get their diversity quota, but we get to see a part of Planetos we've never seen before. It's essentially ancient China in Game of Thrones world, so I guess. You also have uh, their own... They, they, uh, Essos has their own White Walker legend uh, with the five forts and all that, so... Maybe someone from Essos comes looking for John, hearing rumors that he defeated the White Walkers and they're having their own issues. And then, you know, we get a situation with John, like in the Kenobi show, where John. Yeah, I was just going to say, I just don't want this to be Kenobi, full, full on Kenobi. But... <laughs> well, it, it, like, remember how in Kenobi, like, Obi Wan sees visions of Anakin, like in yep. the distance? Maybe he'll see visions of Daenerys. <laughs> in the di- oh, we're, defi- we're definitely getting Daenerys. <laughs> la- oh, that, that, come on. We're, 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 get, we're getting everywhere. We're getting Rob flashback. I bet we get a Rob flashback back season two of snow if it hits <laughs> i'd be down like you know hey like a, like a buddy adventure with him and Dorman. fuck it i'd be down why not yeah no I, i'm i i think it's gonna be fun i mean i'm more looking forward to to see what they do with the Dunkin' egg thing uh if i'm thinking about the future series if if the, this level of quality i know it's a different creative team goes into telling that story I, i'll that's that was the one i wanted so that's the one i'm the most excited for to see moving forward uh, but but I, I'm excited to see a snow series too. I, I think it's funny that Kit Harrington couldn't make anything else work, so he's created this series for himself. It's it's good he has the self referential to be like, oh, this is my character. I, I'm not. No one's no one's watching Gunpowder. No no one's watching. Was he in Pompeii too? No one's no one's watching Pompeii. No one watched Eternals and shit. Yeah. yeah, no one's watching anything else. But so bring back snow. So uh, so I appreciate what he's doing, and it's it should be interesting. And I think we will see a lot of flashback moments in that series but uh no this episode once again i thought it was fucking great the next one is supposed to be even better which we'll see if that's possible but patty constantine um he's out now Uh, his character's gone and uh he will be missed i felt bad for viserys for the most of the series a lot of people were saying he was weak and all that the guy just wanted peace he just wanted everyone to chill he just wanted his family to have a good time but of course you know Fucking Targaryens can't can't chill the fuck out. <laughs> the only time that they can chill out is when one of them murders someone in the middle of court. Then they all gather together for a for a fun dinner. <laughs> you know that, that that brought them all together. The fact that Damon did that, it's like okay, everyone, oh okay, let's have a good Targaryen Targaryen celebration. By the way, so you haven't been watching Rings of Power? No, I'm I'm gonna binge watch the entire thing after House of the Dragon is over. The reason I bring that up is because uh, Preston and I were discussing it a while ago, and Rings of Power may have beaten House of the Dragon in the ratings, but I don't know if they're gonna beat House of the Dragons in like the overall tomato score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I saw that same rating system where Cobra Kai is still number one <laughs> right now uh, for, for for watching, which is interesting. Several weeks after, uh, almost a month or so after the season premiered, uh, so I think that only takes in streaming numbers. But when it comes down to it, even though I haven't watched it, so this isn't personal opinion. This is just maybe I'm biased, but I think if we're doing from the critical public 
public opinion scale of which of those series won. I know people, that's oh, not a competition. Whatever. Come on. We're, we're talking about a series that's about the blacks versus the greens here. So it's, everything's, everything's a fun competition. Just do it with a smile on your face. Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon has won this battle. Even, even if uh, Rings of Power uh, has a little bit higher ratings because of the Amazon distribution machine, it's, I think, the positivity around both series is this series is getting more of the the glow. People are appreciating the acting and, and they're picking apart this series. Every problem that they were going to go in and say, oh, there's a lot of people still angry about season eight. You don't hear that right now. You don't you hear don't, people. Right. Go- there's a guy, by the way, in my on my channel. He commented this. This guy named Greg. Um, he, uh, he commented, I, I, I troll his ass every now and then too. I'll like, I'll find him on YouTube and I'll find some of his comments and he'll, he'll be like in a random YouTube video. I'll just find him and I'll just reply. It's the, cause he, cause he commented on my video in the first week, uh, what House of the dragon episode one, he commented, it's the series. Nobody wanted. That's right. Greg, the series, nobody wanted. That's doing fantastic fucking numbers yeah. and doing amazing in the ratings. You're right. Ever- nobody wanted this. Every week getting more and more and people are coming back to it and enjoying it. And yes, they are upset about the time jumps, but we're going to settle in a little bit now. I don't think even if we do get some progression of time moving forward from this point, it's not going to be as jarring as what we got in season one. We're settled into these characters for a while and we can really sort of stretch out. That's not to say everyone is feeling this show and 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 we never want to live in an echo chamber. I my own ex-co-host, uh, or he's going to be joining me again, but he has, he's not joining on the House of Dragon. Joe is not feeling this series at all. There's really? a couple of people that comment on uh, on my videos that aren't feeling the series at all. So those people do exist. I would just Wait, well, say... What's Joe's problem with the, with the show? Uh, I think he's having a bad attitude. <laughs> he, he, uh, <laughs> he's, <laughs> I think he watched a little bit of the first episode and he's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I think he's, I think he's being the grumpy, uh, Oscar the Grouch and he was just angry at everything. Cause his, his criticisms are the most ridiculous criticisms I've ever heard. Well, really? What life. are they? I'm They're about, it's like about the acting and like, in the cinematography. He was the only person I've ever heard that complained about the acting in the cinematography. He's like, I watched, I can't stand that. Their acting's horrible. I'm like, the acting's horrible? I just hung up with him. I'm, I'm like, I can't talk to you. If you told me that this, the pacing isn't right, some of the some of the story choices, maybe, which is a George thing, but some of, if you're complaining about things like that, they're legit criticisms, even if they're nitpicky and fun. You break stuff apart. It's fun to rip things apart. But when if anyone gets in my face and tells me the acting on this show is bad, I'm just going to laugh in their face because it's not. That's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous talk. Do you know what, just a random thought, I love how on House of the Dragon, whenever anyone enters a room, there's always that one guy yelling, and here comes Rhaenyra of House Targaryen, <laughs> like, like no matter what room someone's coming into, that guy's just following along, waiting to yell, I, I want that job, if, if I could have any job, I mean, I, some might think I'd want the music, the bongo playing, the mushroom bongo player, but no, 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 I would, I would definitely want to be, uh, want to be that the guy. The announcer guy for the, for, for the yeah. royal court? Carmine Ka- from Red I feel like any excuse to do that echo thing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was, I was trying to set it up all night. I, I needed some excuse. No, no, you're great. Uh, what else did George <laughs> say in the blog post? Um, basically, that's it. I mean, a lot about 
uh, Patty Constantine, yada, 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 you're awesome, you're amazing, which I, I'm not yada, yada that to devalue it. It's just, you know, that usual Hollywood, you know, fart sniffing. Oh, he's graded. He deserves an Emmy. He, if he doesn't get an Emmy, there's, there's no justice. There's no justice. Better call Saul didn't win Emmys. Shut up. Uh, I want to address Wait, uh, the time jumps. He, he basically talks about that. He says that Daron is in the series. He confirms oh, that. Oh, okay. He's in Old Town. So so for those of you who don't know, Allison actually has four kids. Um, Aegon, Helena, Aemon, and Daron. Uh, Daron is supposed to be in Old Town. Unfortunately, they couldn't get to him this season. I'm assuming yeah. that's season two, which he's in Old Town right now, which is the Hightower Stronghold, their city. Um, and I guess he's just a squire for uh, Helena's uh, – not Helena, uh, Allison's uncle <laughs> – Helena is Helena is awesome in this episode. In the in auto, we I had my favorite auto moment when he loves that she like she took a piss out of uh, out of Aegon. He's like he's like yes, great toast. <laughs> he, he, it was like my favorite auto moment of the season. And yes, uh, Carmine, she says that uh, Allison gave Viserys four children, three sons and a daughter. Their youngest son Darren is in Old Town. We just did not have the time to work him in the season, and everything else we had to skip. Oh, this is George saying. This. That's George saying. Oh, I was correct. Ah, right, sweet, sweet, yay! Honestly, that's. <laughs> I'm glad that they, they they didn't fucking put Daron in there because at a certain point, it's just such an influx of characters. I'm actually fucking surprised that they even gave us Aegon, little Aegon, and uh, little Viserys in this episode, yeah. and we even got to see little Joffrey. Of course, he's grown too. There's so many characters that they're going, and they're even gonna give us more next episode because, of course, Kingsguard Eric Cargill was not in the, the show up until now, for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> My name is Eric, not Eric. Yeah, that guy, the, the twins. They're going to be in, in this. I think we're going to get maybe one more new character, maybe. And then we're also going to get ba- Bartimo Celtigar in season two. That's a, he, They're another Valyrian house. That's a thing. Season two is going to up like the characters. We're probably going to get the dragon seeds, and that's like what? We'll get, we'll get nettles in season two. Nettles, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get nettles in season two. Um, for some reason, Masara. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. Sorry, <laughs> what, what was with that scene? What was with, what was with the uh, what was with the the random Masaria scene that we had? And I'm mispronouncing her name, but where she where she just had she has a spy in King's Landing that told her everything. It just seemed so out of place in the episode. Yeah, she has a spy in the Red Keep that keeps her up to date on what's happening inside the Red Keep, and I guess it's to remind us that she's still there. She was on all the posters for the promo- the promotional posters for House of the Dragon before the show came out, so. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was so random. It was such a random scene in the episode. I I I it's I they gotta remind us that she's still there because I guess yes fucking maybe maybe Masaro will be behind the game and pale hair thing, which becomes like a a major plot point probably going forward into season three. We, we needed to hear that accent again because everything else in the episode was great, so they had to put one comical <laughs> moment to hear her try to talk. I hear crazy things happen. I'm not, I can't, I'm not even going to try to do it. But to your previous point, Carmine, about the characters, I'm not as well-versed, you know, I, I with Fire and Blood. I know the finer points, but, you know, I didn't break it down as as well as you guys did in, like, in really understanding what happens to a certain extent. So even for me being sort of a half of casual with this series, 
I got a little analysis paralysis with understanding some of the characters' names. Like when we get into Damon's two daughters with Lena and and Lena and Lenor and 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 the way it was they were all introduced and then every episode they're a different actor playing it. And and when I start to think the relationship between the Targaryens and you mix in the incest and stuff, and you're trying to go, wait, that's their uncle or their cousin, like their uncle cousin person. Like so it got a little confusing. So I do appreciate maybe them holding off on one more character we didn't get to need to see yet another baby but i do appreciate george mentioning that this character exists because there has been some speculation because of everything with the with the family tree thing with not with the picture not being on the family tree and some people had speculation whether this character would be here so i'm glad that he sort of just just took it off the table like just said yeah he'll be we'll we'll get to this character eventually we just didn't have time to. like i said man prepare season two is going to introduce so many new characters so many new characters i don't want the because this is one of the problems game of thrones had and like obviously i read the books Preston read the books but i feel bad for the casuals who haven't because it's such an influx of characters at one point i was reading about this in the behind the scenes book at one point i think at season four three or four or maybe five even the, even the showrunners are saying, like, this is a problem. We have, like, 25 named characters that we have to cut to every time. <laughs> and it's it's an issue. It's really hard to keep the story going for all these guys, yep. like, every episode. we got to cut some of them down. And, uh, yeah, at, at one point, I, I, I know for a fact that there were fans of the show who really liked it who couldn't remember every single character's name. They called Tyrion the little, the dwarf character. They called uh, Daenerys the Khaleesi, you know, the hound. Most casuals don't even know the hound's name is Sandor Clegane. Uh, or, or the mountain's yep. name is like Gregor Clegane. They, they just know him as the mountain, you know? So, if casual fans get, you know, overloaded with this crap and the names aren't that simple, you know, you have Aegon and then Aegon 2, Aegon 3, Viserys, Viserys 2, and then blah, 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 it's a whole thing. Helena, Lena, Lena, like yep. a thing. <laughs> uh, is that all that, that George said in the blog post, by the way? Basically, I mean, he talks a lot more about how just House of the Dragon has brightened up his Sunday and how he kudos to everybody. Uh, He talks about the time jumps. He talks about uh, some of the characters that were missing and how the show would have uh, been benefited for 13 episodes. But he likes what everyone's doing. And of course, one more time, Carmine, he makes sure to remind you he is working on Winds of Winter. <laughs> sure you are, you motherfucker. Sure don't worry. Don't don't worry. Don't worry, guys. He's I firmly believe we will get Winds of Winter. Hopefully he announces it. <sighs> I'm being an optimist. Maybe after the season is done, maybe he'll announce it. Maybe he'll announce it. Maybe this is reinvented. Maybe it's reinvigorating it for him, and I think uh, Preston's putting the putting pressure on him now, doing this fa- this fan fiction thing. It's uh, who, who will finish quicker? That's tr- oh man, that's true. Oh boy, oh man. Um, before I wrap, we wrap this up. Star Trek Picard season three oh, no. came out the trailer. That looked like shit. That looked like that looked fucking terrible. What is happening, dude? Dude, what is happening in the point like they didn't. They didn't destroy they what is happening? <laughs> They've destroyed data, they've destroyed Q, and now they have to dig up the rest of the characters and make sure you put the final nail into all of them. Like give me a break. I was fooled twice now. I, I don't I don't even want to go back and listen to it, but there's a podcast that Preston Carmine and I did after like the first 
episode or maybe the first two episodes of season two of Picard, mm-hmm. we were all hopeful. We were like, oh, this could go somewhere. This could be good. I don't even want to talk about what happened in season two. I, I block that from my memory. That that got bad. That got as bad as season one was. I think I preferred it. That's how bad season two got for me. <laughs> uh, season, th- season three, they're reintroducing the original cast. I wish I was more excited for it. Uh, but the only aspect of the entire trailer I was moderately interested in, Carmine, is just the fact that we have lore. But that makes no sense because lore was disassembled by Data and, and like th- destro- pretty much destroyed. So wh- someone would have had to go in and put lore back together or uh, I don't know. They just had to get Brent Spiner in this thing somehow. Uh, Worf is a pacifist now, apparently. He's just walking around. Uh, today is not a good day to die. I am the pacifist. Peace. Like, shut like, Come on. <laughs> uh, the only one that seemed somewhat interesting in the trailer was was Riker because Jonathan Frakes is just taking a piss out of everything. And he just has that. He's like, I, I direct episodes in the Orville. I'm making good Star Trek right now. You know, I can, I Wait, can... Jonathan Frakes directed episodes in the Orville? Yeah, he did. He directed the oh, episodes. The Orville is so good. Dude, it's, it's so it's... good. Did you watch season three? It's... Oh, I finished the whole thing. I binged it. I, I, don't, I don't, I'm a bad millennial. I don't binge, but that's the one thing I binged. It's so good, dude. It's so Holy good. It's, it's on the level of the, and I, and people can bite me off my head for saying this, but and I'm not. I have to I have to reaffirm this every time I talk about the series. I'm not really a Seth MacFarlane fan. I like the first couple of seasons of Family Guy, but I'm not a huge fan of his. I went Sam. into the series with like, uh, you know, on the South Park versus uh, uh, Seth MacFarlane. I'm on, I'm on Team Matt and Trey all the way. Uh, I enjoy like the Cartoon Wars episode, watching them take a piss out of uh, Family Guy. But whatever. This, to me, is the greatest thing he's ever done. You could just tell he really loves Star Trek and understands it. And, he, and all these amazing, unique characters, it feels on the level of, of the best seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. Season three, especially. Seasons one and two are great. But season three took a, like a quantum leap. Uh, not the new quantum leap. Gross. Uh, took a quantum <laughs> leap. To uh, to being to being on the level of like top Trek, and I'm, I I love that you watch it, Carmine. It's it's such a good series. The character B- Bordis is my favorite character. Bordis, <laughs> it's so oh my guys. If like honestly, uh, the Orville is probably my my favorite show. Maybe of like the last three years. It's so fucking good. I will say though that Seth MacFarlane made there was a bit of there was a bit of. maybe not like the first season of the Orville they focused mostly on his character but as it went on the focus from from his character kind of shifted to most of the crew and the crew got a lot more in season two and three the crew the crew of the Orville got a lot more screen time than his character did and I kind of commend him for that because yeah he's the creator of the show he's like you know the main guy behind the whole thing but he's kind of taken a back seat and a lot a lot of people were a little afraid to get on the Orville because it's supposed to be Star Trek but but funny kind of but as the season's gone on like they're jokes but they it, it becomes less jokey and more serious yeah the joke is more that it's just like everyday life at this point like the the comical aspects are uh, more fish out of water moments uh Bordis doing something silly similar to wharf or data comedy moments in star trek and i agree i almost give Seth MacFarlane credit in the way that I give Jerry Seinfeld credit on Seinfeld. He knew that the other three people on there were three of the most 
talented comedic television actors of all time and uh and he's not a great actor and I like Seth MacFarlane uh, in the series. I think he works for the captain, but I don't think acting is his strong suit. Uh, but he works in this role, especially when he's limits the focus on him because so uh, Isaac and Bordis and I, I forget the, uh, the, the, the pilot and the engineer. I forget both of those characters names, but all of them are far more engaging and interesting characters. And Cassidy Yates, the, the Dr. Cassidy Yates is, uh, is an amazing character as well. And her kids like, the whole cast as a whole, as an overall show, works. Seth, Seth MacFarlane isn't isn't the best for me. The best actor. He reminds me too much of Peter Brady. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, oh, it's, it's freaking Peter Brady. <laughs> I hope they renew it for season four. But you know what? If they don't, that's okay because at least it ended. See the way season three ended. That could have been the series finale right there, and Dude. it would have been perfect. Waterworks this season. So many of the episodes, I just lost it and started to cry. <laughs> like because it was set, it was that good of a series. And yeah, I, highly, I highly recommend it if you're a Star Trek fan. And to your point, yeah, I think people stayed away from it because they thought it would be Family Guy in space. Uh, in it, and it's not like that. I mean, even it's not even comparable to Futurama, which is a different kind of take on a sci-fi series. Equally good in a different way, but it's it's actually like watching another ship in in the Star Trek: The Next Generation fleet. That's what it feels like watching. It's just another ship's tails instead of the Enterprise, and that's the biggest credit you can give Seth MacFarlane for the series. Phenomenal. Once again, audience, I know I know we've been uh, off topic for a oh, bit, yes. but guys, definitely check out the Orville. It is worth your time, especially if you like Star Trek. Very worth your time. Um, but overall, I really liked episode eight. I thought it was great. Once again, um, from what I'm told by my guy, episode nine is even better, if that's possible. Ooh. Some people may not think so because there are a lot of really good character moments in eight that you don't really get as much in episode nine, but still very good. Um, yeah, no. Um, it really does feel like Game of Thrones is back. It really does. And I can't believe we're actually here. You know, I can't believe Game of Thrones, they did it. They did what I thought couldn't necessarily be done in the sense of just from a public perception of A Song of Ice and Fire on television, they've turned it around from season eight, from from the point, from the end of Lost, end of How I Met Your Mother, point of the end of Game of Thrones, of that one of the worst received endings they actually it showed how hungry people were for good fantasy television and that's what the show is even even with its warts even being able to pick it apart it's good fantasy television dexter uh redeemed itself right with its spinoff and then they bumbled the ball again no and had did another bad ending i'm not going to spoil what happens in it but dexter did the reverse breaking bad and better call saul instead of having two decent season you know good season series finales they brought it back to do it again and bumble the ball again carmine it was horrible <laughs> it was just as bad as the first one maybe even worse oh shit i'm almost curious though i've never actually seen dexter so i i, I was it's, wanting to maybe start it but hearing that they got a really shitty finale uh. 
Yeah, it, it's it's again to bring up another Seinfeld thing. It's if you find out someone's a bad breaker upper, do you even want to date them in the first place? That's half the relationship. <laughs> Knowing that the series ends bad, do you want to start it? I, I mean, you've you've warned me for years against starting True Blood because you're like it's it's good at the beginning, but you don't want to get to that end. Season, the first three like, seasons are fucking phenomenal. After season three, it goes sharply downhill. So bad, so bad, so bad. But, uh, Phil, do you mind if we wrap it up here? Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we'll see you again next time. Have a good one.